You know, our national conscience has been seared and shaped to take refuge in the judgment of God. We live in an era in which John 3.16 has been replaced as the most commonly quoted verse. No longer is it, is it God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whosoever shall believe in him will, be, will, ha- will not perish but have everlasting life. Now it is instead, judge not lest you be judged. To justify any behavior that we want to justify, to feel better about anything that we want to feel better about, we look to others and we say to them, only God can judge me. And the way that we say it, and the way that we use it, and the way, in fact, that we abuse it shows and portrays our misunderstanding of what it means to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For you see, brothers and sisters, it is true that we shall not, we we must not judge lest we be judged with greater severity. And it is true that God is the one who will pass judgment, but he will in fact pass judgment. That it is appointed for once every man, woman, boy, and girl will die and will stand before the Lord at his judgment seat. And we will be totally naked and exposed with every motive, every attitude, and every action. In fact, even every inaction. And on that day, on the day of his mighty judgment, in the presence of his lethal holiness... There will be no taking refuge in the judgment of God. As we stand in his awe-inspiring and fearsome presence, we will hit our faces, hoping to hear, declaring to hear, maybe even awaiting to hear, come to me, you who are blessed by the Father. But on that day, none of us will feel better about the sins that we justify. None of us will feel more comfortable about the behaviors and lack thereof that we excuse by those statements. Instead, we will stand and we will know what it means for the Lord to judge us. Brothers and sisters, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. This morning we will come to a close in the Olivet Discourse, this final sermon in the Gospel of Matthew. We'll hear Christ bring everything this morning to an ultimate culmination of what he's been teaching us through Matthew 24 and 25. So if you there with me, turn or stand as we read God's word together. We're going to be in Matthew 25, and we're going to start in verse 31. God's inerrant and sufficient word says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, 
and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his, morning, of his word this morning. You may be seated. Jesus, over the course of the discourse, has been clear with his disciples that he is going away and that it is going to take a while. He's used a number of parables, each of whom have shown the master or the one to return as being gone for a long time. So long that sometimes people fall asleep. So long that sometimes wicked and lazy servants believe themselves not to have to give it an account. And as a result, just do whatever they want to do and curse people and lay around and show their wickedness by their own idleness. But Jesus, nonetheless, has made it clear through a number of different stories and a number of different parables that he's going away, and where he's going, he's going to be there for a while. But one day, one day, he will return. He is coming. It is certain and assured that one day in his blazing glory, one day in his lethal holiness, one day in his fearsome majesty, that the sky will split and the trumpet will sound and the Son of Man will make his return. He, said, he describes it as the, the angels. He says, all the angels coming with him. You know, throughout the Bible, we don't get the picture of angels as having uh, these cute little naked babies with halos and glittery wings. Instead, every time in the scriptures that we, are, we see that a man comes into contact with an angel, his first reaction is to be petrified by the creature of war that he sees before him. And so Jesus says that in his return, all the angels are going to come. Many legions of angels. Angels will be so thick that they will be shoulder to shoulder, stretched out across the sky, and so dense that the sun will not be able to penetrate the gaps. Only the glory of the Son of Man himself will illuminate the sky and illuminate the creation, coming to ultimate consummation. And that the Son of Man will descend down upon the throne of David, the throne that has been long awaiting him and long promised to him, the throne of his inheritance. And you see, in that moment, 
In that moment, the vision of the disciples will finally be realized. The vision of the disciples will finally be realized. The disciples, I've, I've told you probably a number of times since we've been through Matthew, how many times have you heard me say that they misunderstood who the Messiah was? That they thought the Messiah was going to be this great military leader and that he was going to be a king sitting on a literal throne reigning over all of the earth. That he was going to return Israel to all of Israel's glory and to all of the reign of David and Solomon when Israel was at its strongest and its finest. But you see, as though, though they did misunderstand much, they didn't misunderstand everything. Because you see, brothers and sisters, that's actually going to happen. That Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah who will come and will strike down all opposing enemies and all opposing dominions and all opposing militaries. And he is the king who will sit upon a literal throne. But he's not coming to make Israel great again. He's not coming to rediscover and recapture a former glory of an old Israel. No, Jesus is coming as the true and greater Israel himself to establish a new heaven and a new earth and to reign from a new Jerusalem seated upon a greater throne of David as the greater David himself to reign with dominion over all peoples, all nations, all, all dominions, all principalities, seen and unseen seen from that day and forward. He will cast into the lake of fire the devil and all of his fallen angels, and he will cast with them those who are not in his inheritance. You see, brothers and sisters, the disciples, they were waiting. They were waiting, and for those disciples, they would not know vindication in this earth. They would not know vindication in this life. They would know martyrdom before they would know glory. They would know suffering before they would know rejoicing. But he was coming. He is coming. And I know for you and I, how often does it feel like he's just never going to make it? How often do you feel like Christ is just never actually going to come? It feels that way, doesn't it? It feels that way as often as we wake up and we wake up and we're not well. It feels that way as often as we go about our lives and we face tragedy and suffering and hardship and difficulty. It feels that way because our marriages are filled with strife and our parenting is filled with challenges and our lives are under the constant threat of destruction and tragedy. Do you know what? It's felt that way before. It's felt that way before. You see, for generations, the people of God awaited the coming of the seed of Abraham, through whom all nations would be blessed. They awaited the, the wonderful counselor, the everlasting prince. They awaited the baby that was to be born, who the government would rest upon his shoulders. They awaited the Messiah that was to come. And generation came, and generation passed. One would come and another would go. And every passing generation, it just felt as though the silence of God was deafening. Even for 400 years, leading up to what we see in the gospel accounts, we hear nothing from God, and generation comes and generation goes. And the promises of God go unfulfilled until the 
virgin had a baby. Until the virgin had a baby. And then for three and a half years, his ministry on earth with the disciples, he's teaching them and investing in them and loving them and caring for them. He tells them about the dark days that are to come. He tells them about the hardship and the suffering that he is to face. He tells them that he must die and go into the belly of the earth and on the third day rise. But when he declares that it is finished and he, give, he breathes his last and he is placed in the tomb, it felt like he wasn't coming back. It felt like hope had died. All of the disciples are gathered in an upper room wondering, what are we to do? How are we to move on? How are we to cope? How are we to survive? But brothers and sisters, on Sunday, the stone was rolled away and the grave clothes were laid there aside and Christ Jesus was in fact raised. And you know what? The Christ who was born and the Christ who was raised is the Christ who will come again. The Christ who was born and the Christ who was raised is the Christ who will come again. His, his plan is assured. His return is certain. And so brothers and sisters, we in the church, we who are gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, we who languish and await his return, we can live as though our future is certain. We can go about our lives. We can raise our families. We can work in our jobs. We can go to our homes and we can do all of those things with the peace and the contentment and the joy of knowing that our future is certain because the Christ who was born and the Christ who was raised is the Christ who will return again and right now we may know suffering and right now we may know difficulty but one day brothers and sisters we will know vindication we will know triumph we will know ultimate and final and eternal victory with our king and so Jesus paints a picture Jesus paints a picture of a shepherd and his flock he says that that all the nations are gathered before him like a shepherd gathering his flock before him. And he says that in that flock and among those many nations are only two species to be found. That among that flock there are only goat and there are sheep. You see, in the Middle East, then and now, the species of sheep and goats that they have are almost indistinguishable to the untrained eye. That it's hard to tell them apart. It's, it's hard to know what is a sheep and what is a goat unless you are the shepherd. The shepherd knows his flock and the shepherd knows how to separate his flock. And so at the end of the day, that the shepherd will bring the entire flock together. And he will bring the flock together because the sheep can be left behind. The sheep have a coat of wool that keeps them warm at night. But all of the goats have to be brought together. And they have to be taken to a place that is warm. And Jesus says that this is the picture of what will happen on the day of judgment. This is the picture of what will happen upon his return. That he will come in his fearsome glory. And he will gather all nations, all peoples, all tribes, all tongues before him. 
And among those tribes, there will only be two types of people, sheep and goats. Those who are condemned and those who are saved. Those who have an inheritance of blessing and those who will have inherited a curse. And they will stand before him and they will look, brothers and sisters, as though they are indistinguishable to the untrained eye. They will look the same. The children will have different colors and different languages and different backgrounds, but they'll all just look like boys and girls. Some of them have been watching Disney Junior. Others of them will be working with their parents. But at the end of the day, they will all look like children. All of the men that are gathered together will come from different corners of the earth. They will come from different places. But at the end of the day, regardless of the color of their skin or the, or the dialect with which they speak, you will look at them and you will say, that's just a man and that's just a man and that's just a man. All of the women and all of the mothers and all of the grandmothers will be brought together and they will be look a little different in presentation. But at the end, you will know that all of these are just the same. Except that the shepherd knows his flock. The shepherd knows his flock. And though many of them may profess the same things, and though many of them may come from the same places, and though many of them may even attend the very same churches, there will be a separation that happens. There will be a separation that happens. And in that separation, those who are the sheep, those who are members of Christ's flock will hear, come to me, you who are blessed of my Father. Receive the inheritance of my kingdom. But those, those who are not, those who have not placed their faith in Christ, those who have not turned from their sin, those who are not found faithful will instead hear, depart from me. You are cursed. You will, be, you will go to the place that has been prepared for the devil. And so what becomes critical for us is to know whether we are sheep or we are goats. To know whether we are saved or we are condemned to know whether we are near to Christ, to receive the inheritance to Christ, or if we are far from Christ, to receive the curse that is owed to the devil himself. And so Jesus begins to talk and he begins to describe what, how you will be able to distinguish and how he, in fact, will differentiate between the goats and the sheep. He starts by describing both of them as who they are, by talking about their identity. Do you notice this? Look at, look at what he says. In, uh, he says it in verse 34. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He comes and he calls them blessed. Blessed by his father. And what's incredible about that is that these are words of grace. These are words of grace. Did you know that throughout the entirety of the Old Testament that the people of God never refer to God as father? They never refer to God as father. In fact, the, co they, the covenant name of God was Yahweh in the Old Testament. And they would not even speak those words audibly. They would not even say them out loud. If they were reading a, if they were reading a, a scroll that had the word Yahweh, they would transliterate that or, or, or exchange that for another name of God. Because they had such reverence and awe of God. They would not even speak his personal and covenant name with them as Israel. But Jesus comes and Jesus changes all of that. 
Jesus comes and he changes all of that. And he tells and instructs his disciples to pray how? Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, we get to address the God of the universe, the judge of all men. We get to address him as our Father. These are gracious words of Jesus. Gracious words that those in his flock, his sheep, get to address God in all of his holiness, in all of his splendor, in all of his, 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 his perfect and impeccable nature. As father, as dad, Think about the word inherit. He says that they will inherit, inherit the kingdom. Isn't that a wonderful word, the word inherit? You see, you know what you do to inherit something? Nothing. Nothing. Your inheritance is not earned. Your inheritance is based on who your family is. Your inheritance is based on who your father is, who your daddy is. You are born into it. You receive it. You don't earn it. You don't go looking for it. You don't seek it. It is gifted to you because that's who your dad is. You're his son. You've got his last name, you are marked by him. And so you receive an inheritance that only he has earned and given to you. Do you see the gospel? Do you see the gospel? You have inherited the kingdom of God, inherited the kingdom of God. It isn't something that you do. It isn't something that you earn. It isn't something that you make. It is something that the king has made for you. It is something that the king has earned for you. And he has adopted you into his house, into his family, to his table before the foundations of the world, it says. And he has brought you into his family to give you his inheritance. You have inherited the kingdom of God, not based on your merit, not based on who you are, but based on the identity that Christ has earned and secured for you in his coming and in his suffering. But he says there's another. For the goats, it's different. For the goats, it's different. He says that, that the sheep, they receive a, an inheritance of blessing, an inheritance of the kingdom that has been prepared for them before, before the earth began. But he says that the goats, they receive a curse and that the curse has been prepared beforehand for the devil and his angels. That they receive something too. They receive an inheritance too. They receive the inheritance of Adam. And receiving the inheritance of Adam, they receive that which they have in fact earned. That which they do in fact deserve. They have not been adopted into the family. They have not been brought into the household of God. Now remember, these are practically indistinguishable. From the outside looking in, for the preacher looking in, for the mama or daddy looking in, for you looking in the mirror. It's practically indistinguishable to tell a goat from a sheep. So it's terrifying, right? It's terrifying. Because on the outside looking in, they all look the same. They all look like they fit together. They all look like they come together. So the question becomes, how can they be separated? How can they be separated? 
How is it that, that Christ will bring together and make it and, and divide the goat from the sheep? How is it that we in the church, we who are among the flock, how is it that we can know where we stand? Or how is it that we can know where our children stand? How can we know? And that's where he switches in his description. He switches from talking about who they are to talking about what they do. He switches from talking about who they are to talking about what they do. He says that those who are sheep, those who are in, to receive the inheritance of the kingdom, those who are to receive the inheritance that is that the blessed in the Father will get, they will be found ministering and caring for and loving his church. Caring for and ministering to the brothers and sisters, especially the least of these. Those that seem to be the easiest to forget. Those who are the easiest to overlook. Do you notice what he says? He says, uh, he says in verse uh, 37, Then the righteous will answer him. I'm sorry, not 37. Verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me, you gave me, Food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Just before this, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for the foundation of the earth. For I was hungry and you gave me food. And he says that you're going to come to me. And he calls them brothers. He calls them brothers. Now remember what he says in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, he says that those who do the will of my father are my mother and my brother and my sister, right? Those who do the will of my father are my mother and my brother and my sister. So when he's talking about brothers, what he's talking about here is in the church. Those who are in the church, those who are members of the church, those who are fellow brothers and sisters adopted into the kingdom of God. And this is a radical message for the 21st century church. This is a radical message for the 21st century church. See, in the 21st century, we are more likely to define our Christianity as being able to forsake the church and abandon the church than we are to labor in the church and serve the church and care for the church. That we are more likely to excuse ourselves from church than we are to obligate ourselves to the church and to devote ourselves to the church. And Jesus says that when he returns, when he comes back, this is the criteria by which he will divide those who are coming into the kingdom and those who are separated from the kingdom those that will be welcome to receive the blessing of the father and those who are separated to be in outer darkness with the devil himself that the division will come the separation will come by how you love your brothers and sisters in christ how you feed them clothe them serve them give to them minister to them reach out to them how you love one another will determine whether or not you are brought and welcomed into the kingdom and yet you go and you talk to Christians. What do you do in your church? Well, I just don't really have much time. How, how, what, what are you doing to live on mission? Man, I'm just, I'm covered up. I'm wide open. I'm busy. There's so much going on with my family. Brothers and sisters, when Christ returns, will he be able to tell you from a goat? Will he be able to tell you from a goat? Will you be serving the church? Will you be reaching out to your brothers and sisters? Or will you be living, tied up, wrapped up in a self-absorbed world? 
how does this not work salvation? How is this not work salvation? Isn't that the question? Like we hear what he's saying and he's just said, well, this is who you are. I don't have any authority. I don't have any power over, over being adopted and before the fact, I, I don't have any ability to earn an inheritance. You've just walked us through all that. But then you went and you said that those who are brought into the kingdom, those who are adopted into the household of God are those who are doing, those who are serving the church, those who are caring for the church, those who are ministering to the least of these in the church. So how in the world is that not work salvation? You see, what you do reveals who you are. What you do reveals who you are. You do what you do because you are who you are. This has been the message of Jesus throughout the book of Matthew, all the way back to the beginning. Remember what he says in the Sermon on the Mount? What does he say in the Sermon on the Mount? He starts with the Beatitudes, right? And he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Blessed are those, right? So he starts talking about those things that are identity, right? He starts talking about those things that are the immaterial part of the man. Those parts of the man that you cannot see. Blessed are those who seek the kingdom of God. He, he, he see, he's looking inwardly to the man, right? And what is the result of that? He says, blessed are those who are peacemakers, for they will inherit the kingdom of God, right? So it sounds almost exactly like what we hear here at the end of Matthew 25. Blessed, inherit. Blessed, inherit. Identity, reward, right? Identity, inheritance. But then what does he say right after that? In chapters 5 and 6, he starts saying, well, you got to love your enemies, that, that if your right eye causes you to sin, you've got to hate your sin so much that you gouge it out. If your arm or your hand causes you to sin, you've got you to cut it off. If the, if the soldiers come to you and they, they say, hey, carry my armor a mile, you've got to say, well, is it okay if I go ahead and carry it two miles? I'm, I'm just feeling, I'm feeling generous today. In other words, this is who you are. And then he goes, he spends two more chapters saying what? And so you must do. So you must do. That disciples are verified by what they do. Disciples are made clear by what they do. Sheep are made obvious by what they do. They will do different things than the goats do. They will serve in the church differently than the goats serve. They say that 20% of the people do 100% of the work in the life of the church. Could it be, brothers and sisters, that it's 20% of the people that are saved? Could it be that it is 20% of the people that when Christ comes with his legions of angels to stand and judge over the earth, sitting upon his judgment seat, that they are the ones that, that he will know and that he will recognize and that the rest will be dispersed? Could it be that the fruit of their life will come to bear that their identity is truly in Christ and that the rest are excluded? What does he say at the end of Matthew chapter 7? Those who hear these words of mine and do them will be like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the wind came and the waves crashed, but his house stood tall. The foolish man will be that one who hears these words of mine and does not do them and ignores them. And the winds come and the waves will crash and great, will be the crash of that house. Brothers and sisters, do you believe the words of Jesus or not? 
I know they are tough and I know they are penetrating. But brothers and sisters, he says that what you, who you are will be revealed by what you do. By what you do. By how you care for each other and love each other and minister to each other and reach out to each other. How you live your life on mission and you live your life with generosity and you live your life with self-denial. How you live will be determined, will, de- be, will, de- will de- prove and give credence to who you are. See, he makes a connection here, doesn't he? He makes a connection here. There, there's something that takes, all, takes by surprise both groups of people. You notice that? And this proves that it's not work salvation. He says, he, he says to those who are sheep, those who are, are welcome to receive the inheritance of the kingdom, those who are welcome to receive the blessing of the kingdom. And he says, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was cold, you clothed me. You took care of me. You ministered to me. You loved me. You served me. And they're caught by surprise. And they say, but when? We've never seen you. We, 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 we saw homeless people and we saw those that were, were on, the, on the margins of the church and we saw those that, that everybody else had forgotten. And we, we gave them something, but we never saw you. We would have rolled out the red carpet for you, for you for sure. And Jesus says, when you cared for them, when you loved them, when you ministered to them, When you gave to them, when you were generous to them, when you reached out to them, you were doing all of those things to me. They weren't doing those things to earn salvation. They were doing those things because of who they are in Christ. Because of who they are in Christ. They didn't need to see Jesus to do it. They did what Jesus would have them to do because they were like Christ. But the goats were different, weren't they? The goats were different. The goats, he says... I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. And they said, no, Jesus, you don't, if we would have seen you, certainly, certainly, if we would have seen you, we would have cared for you. If we would have, if we would have seen the returning Christ, the risen Christ, the crucified Christ, you we would have cared for. You we would have loved. We never saw you. Jesus says to them, that was me that you rejected. That was me that you overlooked. That was me that you didn't care for. That was me that you didn't give to. That was me that you didn't welcome. That was me that you didn't visit. That was me that you didn't feed. That was me that you didn't clothe. That was me. You rejected them, and in rejecting them, you rejected me. You see, Jesus is making a connection. Jesus is making a connection between the first commandment, the first greatest commandment, and the second greatest commandment. That they are, they are so interwoven, they are so intermarried, that they cannot be separated. That the way that you love God will be proven and verified by the way that you love others as yourself, by the way that you love one another. You see, the Bible does say that God so loved the world that he sent his only son that the church might be saved. But brothers and sisters, do you know why we've been left behind? 
Do you know why we've been left languishing in this forsaken world? Do you know why we've been left behind to face the tragedies and the poverty and the famine that we face? Do you know why we've been left behind to see those that are struggling and fighting and scratching and clawing and battling? Do you know why we've been left behind? For God so loved the world that he left behind the church. That through the church, the good news might be proclaimed. That by the church, his glory might advance. That in the church, these broken hearted, downtrodden people might be connected into gospel community where they will find there the love of God. Christ has left behind the church as we await his return that more might be brought into his kingdom by the church, into the church, to be cared for by the church. Brothers and sisters, will you love one another? Because in loving one another, you are loving Christ. Will you go out and advance the causes of Christ through the love of Christ because you are the church of Christ so that you can draw people in because if you will, if you will, you are sheep and on the day of judgment you will receive an inheritance of blessing that you will enjoy forever. A day of triumph, a day of vindication, a day of victory that you will know no end to. Let's pray together.